you would grab a Bible, let's open together to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, we'll begin our time of study in that place, Luke chapter 6. Good to see you this morning, glad that we have visitors with us. We want you to feel welcome, we are glad that you are here. Thank you for taking the time and this opportunity to worship God with us and study from his word. We'd love to get to know you better. If you're just passing through, we're thankful that you've stopped in. If you're from this community, we'd love to get to know you and talk to you more about what it means to be a part of this group, this family, and uh, we'd just love to have the opportunity to get to know you better. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to remind you before I get started that this week is our Bible workshop weekend. It will begin Friday night. We'll have our singing here at 7 p.m., and I want to encourage everyone. Everyone is invited to the singing. You don't have to be of a certain age, young or old. Uh, we can all gather here and worship God, and that will be a wonderful evening. And then on Saturday, we'll have our, our youth workshop, excuse me, <coughs> our Bible workshop weekend for the young people on Saturday. So be looking forward to that, be in prayer about that, and make plans to be here on Friday if you can. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. I want to begin here, Luke 6, 37. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus tells us not to judge, not to condemn, but instead to forgive and to give. How exactly does that work? How are we supposed to live a life in which we do not judge? What is Jesus really teaching? You are probably aware of the fact that there is some controversy attached to that topic. Very often, there are complaints lodged against Christians that we are judgmental. And the word judgmental in this context usually means that we are eager to condemn other people, almost excited to condemn. We would rather condemn than accept. And so very often there will be people who are not believers in Jesus who will pit Jesus against Christians and say, Christians are judgmental. Jesus says, judge not. So how can you be following Jesus if you judge? But there is also something else here. I have grown up in an environment where I have very often heard Christians loudly assert their right to judge as if it's a great thing for us to judge others. And it seems to me when we have that perspective, then we completely fly by what Jesus says when he says, judge not and condemn not. So what I want to do this morning is just examine some of the problems with judging. And I want to begin by saying that judgment is essential. When we use the word judge, we're talking about how we take facts and we try to make a determination usually about what's right or wrong. And there are several areas where we have to make those determinations and we really can't survive without being able to make some kinds of judgments. So I want to put some of these on the board just to begin with. First of all, we, we have to judge the truth of a statement. When someone says something, we instinctively do this, don't we? we begin to say, now, is that true? And if someone says something to us that is not true, it's, it's almost natural for us to say, wait a minute, that's not true. And that's not really a Christian thing. That's just a people thing. People of all kinds do that, where we hear statements and we evaluate their truth, and then we make a determination about whether we believe them or reject them. 
This is 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And that word weigh is our word judge. Judge, determine, is what is said true? Is it from God? And we could go on and on about how Christians in the New Testament had to do this. Talk about the Bereans. We can talk about testing the spirits. But you get the idea. We have to judge the truth of a statement. There's no way around that. We have to judge the rightness of a behavior. Should we do something or not? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it evil? We have to judge. Peter says, Acts 4, verses 19 and 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love what he says. He says, if you think it would be better to listen to you instead of God, that's your judgment. But for us... We've already determined what we are going to do. We are going to listen to God instead of you. Notice he is not saying everybody gets to decide you have your right and I have my right. You have your wrong. and I have. No, he's not saying that. He's saying we all still have to apply right and wrong to real life situations. And we're going to make different judgments about that. We have to judge the rightness of a behavior. Again, that's not really a Christian thing. All people determine whether something is good or bad to do, right or wrong to do. And all of us also have the experience of sometimes doing things that we know are bad. Whether that's Christian or non-Christian, we have to make those judgments. We have to make deductions and we have to make decisions. We decide things and scriptural terms for that sometimes are judgments. This is James in Acts 15, 19. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Talking about the circumcision issue. This is my judgment. This is what I have determined, my deduction, my decision. And we will talk about our judgment in that way. We weigh the facts, we weigh the right or wrong, we weigh truth, and we decide. And sometimes when we are in a position of leadership, for example, that decision, that judgment will affect other people. Whether that's someone who is a father in a family, someone who's an elder in a congregation, someone who's a boss in a company, someone who's a politician in charge of of a certain area of the government, whatever it is, we have to make judgments. Now, specific to Christians, we have to make fellowship decisions. And the idea here is we have to determine if someone is truly following Jesus so that we know whether we want them to influence us. And there is Bible behind that idea. This is 2 John verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. The idea here is we have to determine whether someone is in the teaching of Christ, abiding in the teaching of Christ. We have to make a judgment. And that based on that judgment, we know how to treat them. We don't receive them or give them any greeting, receive them into your house. The idea here is you don't treat them as if they are a faithful brother if they're not really following Jesus. We have to make that determination. We have to make a judgment about that. And then we have to hold brethren accountable. This is an obligation that Christians have. When I have agreed to follow Jesus and you have agreed to follow Jesus then Jesus expects us to hold one another to the commitment that we've made. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. Caught in a transgression is the idea that I have to determine what you're doing is wrong. 
And I need to go talk to you about that and help you work out of that. Paul says, we'll talk more about this passage in a moment, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. That's a very specific situation, but he says you need to judge people who are in the church family with you because they're not living as they should. And you need to purge them away. That is, not have anything to do with them. Don't worry, I'm still in the introduction. So, it certainly looks like judging is an important part of our lives, right? We value those who have good judgment. Who go through these different areas and they make decisions that are wise. So, what is Jesus talking about then? Look again at Luke 6 and verse 37. You're still open here. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about the problem with judging. Because what Jesus is getting at is that even though we do have to make some judgments, very often we tend to do it in a bad way. And I want to talk about what that looks like for the rest of our time. First of all, Jesus knows that we tend to judge other people too harshly. So look again at verse 38. Luke 6 and verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. When he says don't judge, don't condemn. Instead be kind and giving and forgiving. And it will be a blessing to you. Good measure, shaken down. Just think about something that you shake and then you open it up and it just flows out. He says, that's what God wants to do for you, but only if you're willing to show that same kindness and goodness to others in the way you treat them. We tend to judge people too harshly and God is encouraging us to be more generous in our judgment. There is a spirit that is fault finding. It is critical. It is always looking at someone with a very sharp eye, just waiting for the one thing that we can say, oh, I knew it. I knew it. See, now I know you're not truly perfect. Judge not that you be not judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love the fact that Jesus goes straight for our hearts. We know that when we stand before God, we don't want God to judge us harshly. We know we need mercy from God. And we talk about that regularly, and we talk to God about that regularly. Jesus says, if you want mercy from God, you must show mercy to others. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He even talks about in, in Matthew's account, the idea that we see the speck in our brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in our own eye we begin to think that other people's problems are a big deal and my problems are not that big a deal when the exact opposite is true. Haven't you had the experience where you got to see someone and, and you found one little fact about them, one opinion they had, one thing they said, one thing you saw them do, and from that point forward, it was as if everything about them was colored by that one thing? You become critical of them. You start looking for the other problems in them. 
That fault-finding spirit is about judging others too harshly. This is Romans 2, 1 to 3. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? There is some significant exceptionalism going on here. That we look at other people and talk about their faults and their flaws and how could he think that? Why would he say that? What is he doing? And then we assume that when we do the same things, we are somehow different. Psychologists have studied that phenomenon, talk about it in different ways. Observer bias is one of them. The idea that if I do something wrong, it's because there was a situation that was bad. But when you do something wrong, it's because you have a character flaw. I've talked to you guys about this before. You know that. But basically it means if I was late, it was because all, I caught all the stoplights. But if you're late, it's because you're always late and you have a problem. And we tend to judge other people more harshly than we judge ourselves. I find it to be a very helpful question. When I begin to be critical of other people, to just ask the question, have I ever done anything like that? What I'm criticizing in them, have I ever been guilty? Have I ever said anything like that, thought anything like that, put someone in that position? And we begin to say, well, maybe I need to back off a little bit. Almost always, in my experience, the answer to that is yes. James says, judgment without, is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That is a chilling statement. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Please understand, showing mercy to other people doesn't mean they get off the hook. It doesn't mean that they don't have to answer to God. It means that I refuse to judge them harshly because I don't want to be judged harshly. But Jesus is teaching us that one of the main problems with judging is that we tend to be too harsh. Second, we also tend to judge by appearances. Let's go to John chapter 7. John 7. Now in John 7, the question on everyone's mind is just who exactly Jesus is. And the people are really torn up by this question. There's a lot of different answers. There's a lot of buzz around the water cooler. Who is Jesus? What do we think about him? And particularly the fact that Jesus back in John 5 had healed a man on the Sabbath. So John 7, I want you to see how Jesus addresses what these people are thinking, how they're thinking about him. John 7 and verse 21. It says, Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision... Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here is the deal. On the surface, it looks bad for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. I mean, the Sabbath is a day you're supposed to rest. God put that in the law. God talks about that a lot. So why doesn't Jesus rest on the Sabbath? Why is he healing? It looks bad on the surface. But Jesus says, if you think a little more deeply, you see the problem. 
For example, you don't criticize people who, because they want to follow the law, circumcise kids on the eighth day after they're born, and the eighth day happens to fall on the Sabbath. You don't worry about it at all. What you say is, oh, no, we're keeping Moses' law. Great. So are you mad at me because instead of circumcising someone, I'm healing them, making their whole body well? It just happens to be on the day that you in other cases don't even care that much about? Jesus says, don't judge by appearances. And when he says that, what he means is, don't judge shallowly. Don't judge without all the facts. Don't judge without thinking through it carefully. Don't assume you know. Don't judge by the seat of your pants. Judge thoughtfully. Judge with righteous judgment. Look down a little bit in John 7 and verse 51. In John 7 and verse 51, Nicodemus says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Don't judge by appearances. And here Nicodemus is saying, well, wait a minute. If we're going to say somebody's not the Messiah, shouldn't we actually maybe, uh, I don't know, talk to them? Let them say some things about themselves? But if we're just going to say, no, he doesn't look like I thought he would look. Now he's from the wrong part of the country. Nope, couldn't be. Then we're really judging by appearances. It is possible for us. In fact, it is a tendency of ours. Because judging in a righteous way is time-intensive. It's hard. There's nuance to things. We would much rather say just an immediate, off-the-cuff response. Nah, I didn't like the way he looked. He seems sneaky. I don't know. I, I just can't believe anybody who's from that state. And so we, we, you know, we, just, ah, we just disregard it. Off the cuff. And Jesus says, we tend to do that. Don't do that. Don't judge by appearances. By the way, we can also judge by appearances just in the physical sense. This is uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. These are David's brothers. He says, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We tend to judge people by their appearances. Psychologists who have studied this say that we are more likely to buy things from attractive people. Same product, more likely to buy if an attractive person is trying to sell it to us. We believe people who are attractive more than people who are unattractive. In fact, it is the number one criterion for believing someone. Why would that be? We think pretty people, we think wealthy people have their lives together, give good advice. And we tend to think that less attractive people are wrong, and that makes for crummy judgments. We tend to judge by appearances. That's the problem with judging. It's necessary. That's not the issue. The issue is we don't do it fairly because we're not careful the way Jesus teaches us to be. Third, the problem with judging is we tend to judge others' motives. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is responding here to the Corinthians' judgments about him, and he says some interesting things about the way we should think about judging and how other people judge us. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. He says, this is how one should regard us. 
as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So Paul says, it's a small thing. I'm in verse 3 here, that I should be judged by you or by a human court. I'm not that concerned about your opinion of me, he says. That's not really my concern. The one who judges me is the Lord. But he says there's also a problem with our judgments that are in the here and now. He says it in verse 5. He says, therefore, judge, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. See, there are some things that we don't know now that would affect our judgment about one another, maybe even about some things that we're going to do. There are things that affect our judgment that we don't know. The other part in verse 5 is he says he will disclose the purposes of the heart. There are some things that we can't know, and I cannot know what is in your heart. So he says, don't judge because there's some things that are off limits to you, including other people's motives. Part of the harshness of our judgment comes when we assume we know what people are thinking and meaning. I believe that's why Paul says something like this. Very often when you read about judgment, judgment involves secrets. Judgment involves hearts and thoughts and motives. Paul says in Romans 2.16, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Things we don't know now, things that might even be hidden in hearts. The best example I can give of this is if you have ever spent any time whatsoever on social media. And if you want to see some great examples of judging others too harshly, judging by appearances, and judging others' motives, just get on one of those comment threads on just about anything. Just comment on anything, and people will be there talking to people they have no, no connection with whatsoever, they have never met, and yet based on one statement or one phrase or one word, suddenly they are Hitler. Suddenly they are the worst person. Suddenly, I know what you're after. You see, even though we know we don't know one another's hearts, we still think we do. And we'll say things like, oh, I know what he's after. I know what that comment meant. Oh, I I see him. He is just after the money. And what we think is, because we have some experience with people and maybe we have some experience with our own motives, we begin to think that we can judge other people's hearts. And that is a problem with judging. I have sometimes heard brethren complain. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but sometimes people complain to preachers about strange things. I have heard brethren complain that they've never seen anyone withdrawn from over greed or jealousy. And my response to that is, those are hard issues. How could I possibly know if there is jealousy in your heart? Now, I might begin to see some some of the playing out of that. I might see you do some behaviors. I might be suspicious. 
I might know that there are some strong possibilities. It's likely that something is going on that's wrong, but I can't judge you. In fact, I don't know about you, but, but I am very often confused as to why I do things. I don't even know my own heart sometimes. How much more could I know yours? Seems to me that we need to be careful about assuming the worst about one another's motives because that's a problem with judging. Do we have to judge? Yes, we have to judge sometimes. But we don't have to judge others' hearts and motives. And if we do, we'll very often get into trouble. In fact, I have found that one of the quickest ways to infuriate your brother is to accuse him of bad motives. Haven't you had that happen to you? Where someone said, oh, this is what you're trying to say, and you say, now you wait a minute. I will tell you what I'm thinking, but you don't get to tell me what I'm thinking. We don't judge others' motives, but that's a problem that can attend to judging. Fourth thing, we tend to judge outsiders. Turn the page to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. There is a problem in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5. And the problem is that there is a man who is in a sinful sexual relationship. And the church has done nothing about it. They seem to have not talked to him about it or taken any action whatsoever. Paul wants them, please hear me, Paul wants them to judge him. He needs to be judged, and he needs to be removed from among them. I want to read beginning in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So what has happened here is Paul has evidently written to them, that's in verse 9, I wrote to you not to associate with evil or immoral people. And they have taken that and somehow thought that that had to do with the broader world. And Paul is writing to clarify, no, 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 it's, it's this simple. There are people who call themselves Christians who are living sinfully, don't have anything to do with them. And he makes a distinction. It's very clear. If you look in verse uh, Verse 10, he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. If you said, I'm not going to deal with any evil worldly people, who are you going to deal with? You'd have to go out of the world, which is, of course, an impossibility. So he is saying, when I wrote that, I didn't mean don't have anything to do with worldly people who are worldly. They're worldly. They're going to live worldly lives. He says, specifically, verse 11, Now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. He is proclaiming himself a Christian. So, verse 12, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. God judges those outside. That's his job. Do you know what's not our job? It's not our job to judge the world. God will take care of that. Christians should not be surprised when worldly people do evil. It's what they do. In fact, they haven't even made a commitment or a claim to do anything different. They're just doing what they've always done. 
That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't shock us. Now, I understand it's disturbing when sometimes we see the, the moral barometer of our culture dropping and we see bad things coming. I understand that. But that's not really our job to judge. Those are people who have made no commitment whatsoever to serve God. They're not trying to do right. So should we be surprised when they don't do right? That's not our judging job. And it seems to me that this causes no end of frustration and grief to many Christians. Because we sit and we look at a worldly world and we say, wow, it's so worldly. Paul is saying, yes, God is on that. God will take care of that. God will judge those outside. That's not our purview. So the problem with judging is we tend to make the issue much bigger and worse than God actually intends it to be. Instead, he says, you focus on those who have made a commitment that you want to help to keep the commitment. And let your judging be about that. Now, to be sure, if I have the opportunity to speak to worldly people, about Jesus and about changes in their lives, I need to do that. And I'm not saying that we, you know, we refuse to say anything about their sin or challenge them about their sin. I am saying that judgment of those people is not required. It's not our function. It's not what we do. That's God's job. And Paul says that specifically. God judges those outside. It's not our job to condemn them. God will take care of that. The last thing I want to say about the problem with judging is that we tend to think that our judgment is the standard. Turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I think sometimes we forget that we are not the judges. That this church is not the judge. That I can think you are right and you not be right. Or I can think you're wrong and you not be wrong. Or this church can think you're right and you not be right. Or this church can think you're wrong and you not be wrong. We are just people. And that's why Paul says, it's a small thing if you judge me. He says, I even, I, I try to look at myself, but I don't know anything against myself. I don't have any charges against myself, but I'm not justified even by my own judgment. It is the Lord who judges me. And I want to warn us about this tendency that we have to assume that God is always going to think the way I think. God will always take a situation the way I would take the situation. That is presumptuous. In fact, Scripture warns us that we are forgetting our place when we forget the fact that we are not God. We are judges over some small things, but God is the ultimate judge. Turn with me over to Romans 14. Romans 14, Paul makes this very clear here that as regards one another, even our own judgment has to be tempered by the reminder that it is not the standard. Romans 14, here the issue is about our own judgments of one another in matters that God accepts us either way. Matters like whether we eat meat, 
keep a day and that kind of thing. Romans 14. But read with me verse 3. Romans 14 verse 3. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Listen to it. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Drop down to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We only have one master. And it is not each other. So while we help to hold one another accountable... Sometimes you may need to confront me about an issue you see in my life. Sometimes I may need to talk to you about a concern that I have. And we try to work together in that. We need to remember we are not each other's master. That means two things. That means first of all, just because you think I'm wrong doesn't mean I'm wrong. That's an important idea. We need to say satisfying our brethren one way or another doesn't get the job done with regard to God. But beyond that, no matter what happens in our interactions, someday I will answer to someone. And it is not a human. It is not a person I can out-argue. It is not a person that I can say, well, I don't really agree with your point of view. It is my master. And I will stand before him and give account of what I've done. Now the danger is we all tend to think that God thinks like we do. That if I think it's okay, God must think it's okay. And if I think it's wrong, God must think it's wrong. Had a fascinating conversation one time with a sister in Christ who said, I really don't like this. Now, is there anything in the Bible against it? We don't don't get to do that. Where we say, well, I don't like it, so maybe the Bible will fall in line behind my likes. We all tend to think that. But we need to remember that what we are doing when we confuse our judgment and God's is that we are taking God's place. And that's not allowed. Who are you to judge another's servant? Or as James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? Who are you? God is judge, not me. I have my own judgments, but they are not the standard. God is greater than I am. These are his people, not my people. They are his servants, not my servants. He will judge justly. So the problem with judging is not that we should never do it. The problem with judging is that we tend to do it in a wrong way. Look at these tendencies. We tend to be too harsh. We tend to judge by appearances. We tend to judge motives. We tend to judge those outside. We tend to judge in a way that makes us think that we are God. So no wonder Jesus says, judge not. He's not saying never judge. What Jesus is saying is that judging is often an opportunity for some very poor behaviors. He says, you be careful with your judgment. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We would hate it if we were judged too harshly or by appearances or someone judged our hearts unfairly. Someone judged us according to a commitment we hadn't made. Or someone confused their judgment with God. We would hate to be the product or the the object of that. 
So with the judgment you use, it will be measured back to you. Instead, let's remember that the marks of Jesus are forgiveness and kindness and mercy. And that mercy triumphs over judgment. So I want to encourage us, as we engage with one another, as we make decisions about our own behaviors, let's remember that example of kindness, of forgiveness, of giving. And let's show the Spirit of Christ in our judging of one another and of the things that we have to decide. Let's help let our judgments help us and other people to draw closer to God. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation of the Lord Jesus. God sent His Son to be a sacrifice for sins so that when we have done wrong, as we said, all people have made the decision to do things we knew were wrong. And when we have done wrong, Jesus' sacrifice will take away those sins so that we can stand right before God. It is a gift. It is the sacrifice that takes away sin. And if you are ready this morning to accept that sacrifice, to become a believer in Jesus, and you're willing to confess your faith in Him and turn away from your sins, we'd love nothing more this morning than to help you become a child of God, to be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away. If there is any need that you have, we invite you to come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.